Good morning. How are we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to City Light. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, just want to welcome you if you're new. There's a connect card on your seat or nearby your seat. Please fill that out, uh, and we would love to connect with you and help you in your spiritual journey, wherever that might be. Um, hey, thanks to all of you who served, bought gifts. Uh, we're here yesterday. The Christmas store went fantastic. Um, we were able to give away 400 gifts and served over 180 little kids uh, yesterday, uh, just in a few hour time span. And so you should praise the Lord for that. That is very, very good. We're very excited and thankful. Uh, so thank you for your generosity and Amazoning your, your gifts here. And thank you to all of those who came to serve. Uh, as we constantly want to be reminded of, uh, we are here to serve and to be a blessing to our city, um, not just to run services, but to serve those around us. And so uh, what an awesome time to do that. There were so many uh, fun stories from yesterday and so many people who are new, uh, brand new to the church. And let me just tell you something. I would, uh, I would ask people when they came in, I would say, how many of you is this your first time at City Light? And a ton of them, it was consistent, had never been before. Uh, and then I would say, how many of you know the Christmas story? Raise your hand. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, those who are in the room with me saw this. It would be like nobody. I mean, about two people. Uh, some, sometimes a few people would be like, uh, Jesus. And I'm like, yes, that's the right answer in church. You know, but you know anything else about the Christmas story? They're like, eh, you know. Uh, and so it was a really amazing opportunity um, to explain at a very, you know, awesome and basic level. Where, what's, this, what's this all about? What are we even doing here at Christmas? So uh, I hope it would be wise as well to remind you to not assume people know why you're celebrating Christmas. You might just assume this baseline. It's not there, okay? Like, like let's take every opportunity, wherever you're at, uh, to explain why Christmas is important to you and, and what God has actually done for us and what we're celebrating. Uh, so we got to share the gospel with every group that came in here, every single person that entered this building. I uh, heard a very clear gospel presentation to them, uh, and were able to be blessed. There was one lady at the end of the, at the time, we had, we had really cleared everything out. All the gifts uh, were pretty much gone. There was one table left, and, and there was uh, a couple families left, and they were sorting through things. And one of the ladies, it was her first time here ever at City Light, she said, yeah, I work with special need kids over at Westlawn, all right? So that's not, it's an elementary school right down the street. It's like five minutes that way. Um, and we've, we've done a few things with them before. Uh, and, and so she said, yeah, I work with kids. She's like, can I take some extra gifts, um, you know, for my, my students at school? And we said, oh, of course, sure, yeah, you can do that. Um, and then it turned out where I looked around and I thought, uh, the event's over. It was like 5 o'clock. The event ended at 4, okay? So it was, it was way over. Uh, uh, and pretty much everybody had trickled out by this point. And there was a table left, uh, still probably 20 gifts left on the table. Um, and I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I think you're the last person here. Why don't you just take all those gifts? You know, like you, you work with special needs kids. Why don't you just, you, you can give them to your kids. You have other, I'm sure, students you know. And she just couldn't believe it. I mean, she was like a kid at Christmas for her. Uh, and so we got her a big trash bag. We filled it up, uh, walked her out to her car. She shared a little bit more of her story. And uh, you should, I should have taken the picture, but <laughs> the bag wouldn't fit in her trunk. So we had to take each present out and stuff it in the corners. Uh, and her trunk was full of gifts. Um, and this was her very first impression ever of City Light, or, you know, or of church, uh, for her to come. And so, yes, praise the Lord. What a great first impression. Uh, and she was very thankful. So uh, just as a reminder, um, those things are happening all throughout uh, the ministries here in various capacities. And you're 
generosity and your uh, support and your engagement at church is creating a place, even if you were not the one to hand her the gifts, you are creating the place in which that happens. Uh, and I want to remind you how important that is. And for us to be able to share the love of God and overbless her. Remember we talked about last week, God has overblessed us beyond what we deserve. And so we want to overbless others. Uh, and so this is what, this is the spirit of what we want to do. And so uh, as we're going to get ready to jump in the message, I want to remind you about this December and the things that we are, uh, we are prioritizing for next year. Uh, and we're calling on you and, and uh, those that you love and your commitment here to say, I mean, let's think about, in light of God's generosity to us, how we can continue to be generous and create environments and space and opportunities and ministries for people to be overblessed in the name of Jesus, for people to have a first-time opportunity to hear the Christmas story or the gospel, for someone to have a first-time opportunity to even engage with other Christians and see the love of Jesus. These are the things we need to do more of and we need to expand as far as we can. And so, as I talked about last week, our aims for the generosity this month, any money that we raise, we want to uh, go towards these three things, which one is the next generation. And so that's a high investment in youth, uh, kind of taking that to the next level and seeing how we can reach kids around us and invest more money and resources, time and energy, staff in helping support and reach that. The other one part of that is the preschool. Uh, and so, listen, if we all really believe and buy into what God is doing, we've had six kids, now we have 11 kids. Uh, if we have the support and the, and the money needed, we can have two classrooms. We could double that number if we can afford a few more teachers. Like, I, I envision a world where there's 50 kids running around down there uh, who don't really go to, maybe half of them don't even go to church, but they're here hearing about the gospel in preschool, uh, and lives are dramatically being changed. I mean, I cannot overshare with you how many lives are dramatically being changed in that room downstairs, uh, and we need to continue to invest in that, and we would love to see more and more kids from our community and from within our church uh, be able to receive the blessing of being a part of that. Uh, we charge no money for that, all right? So it's not like we're raising any support from within the ministry itself, uh, and so families are allowed to participate. So that's a really big one as we continue to invest in our internships and raise up leaders. Uh, so that's that one. The next one is multiplication, which is helping continue to start City Lights in other locations. We have some really great opportunities and stories we're going to be sharing very soon about another additional City Light in Mexico with our friend Ariola, which some of you know, uh, and all these other opportunities in India and Africa, uh, and as well as around the DMV. And so we want to continue to multiply the work. The final one is communication, uh, that we would do well at reaching the world of the internet and helping reach the unreached people groups through that means. And so listen, I, just, I want to put these things in front of you I want to call you and give you the opportunity to be abundantly generous this December uh, as the year ends. Reflect on what God's done to you, done for you, uh, and take this opportunity to think about how you can participate in the blessing of seeing women fill their cars up with toys for special needs kids in their schools all in the name of Jesus. We want that to happen, and I'm sure you, those of you who know the Lord, you want that to happen a hundred times over, all right? A million times over. Uh, and so may we create more moments like that through our generosity, uh, and, and that could be really helpful as we jump in this month. So uh, just as a reminder on that for December. Uh, today, we're continuing our series in uh, the first two chapters of Luke, Luke called The Eyes of Advent. As I explained last week, the goal of this series is basically to take Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, use them as frames, as glasses by which we can see Jesus rightly by seeing how those who were there when he came, how did they see him? What was it like for Mary? What was it like for Zechariah? What was it like for the shepherds in the field? What was it like for Simeon, the, the priest? 
How did they see Jesus, the coming of Jesus, baby Jesus? How did they see these things? And hopefully, as we get into how they saw Jesus, we can see Jesus more rightly ourselves so we can spawn, respond more rightly to him. As we discussed last week, all of us have misunderstandings, misguided views. We, none of us see him rightly, completely as we should. And so whether you're here today and you're like, I don't even know Jesus at all, and I'm here with my family because it's Christmas, you know, and I'm trying to be nice to my grandmama, you know, whether you're here like that, we want to say, listen, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we want you to see who Jesus is. Before you make a decision on whether you think this is a good idea or not, you need to make sure you see what God is like for real. And for all of us who do follow Christ and have been doing that for years maybe, uh, to not assume that you see him as you should and to have room for the adjustment because as you see Christ, so you will think about him. And as you think about Christ, so you will live accordingly. Your whole life, I mean, this is not an overstatement. Every decision you ever make is in light of your view and understanding of who God is. And whether he's really your provider, whether you can really trust him, whether everything he says is true, whether this is really, you know what I'm saying? Does he really satisfy more than the pleasure that you're trying to get into that's a sin? You know, everything that you do comes out of your understanding of Jesus. So this isn't like theology class 101, let me just get my thoughts right. No, that's part of it. But you can't get your life right unless you have your thoughts right, unless you have your view of Jesus right. And so we want to grow in that today and over this month. So we're going to see Jesus through the eyes of Zechariah. Just for context purposes, remember last week we saw Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, and what was happening there. Uh, today we're going to see Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, who is the, the prophet that came before Jesus to prepare the way of Jesus. Um, and so Zechariah receives a message from an angel, like Mary, that says you're going to have a special son, He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Zechariah doesn't believe this, though. He has doubt in his heart. The Lord responds by making Zechariah mute for the entire length of the pregnancy, all right? And so some of your wives, some of you are like, I wish he'd make my husband mute for the entire length of the pregnancy. That would be great. How can I get that to happen for me? Well, uh, just see if you can get your husband to doubt the Lord, okay? And maybe he'll make him mute. So this is what he does. This is his punishment. He makes him mute. He can't speak until the baby is born, John the Baptist. When the baby is born, his tongue is released, and this is what he says, okay? So think about that situation, what we're about to hear, the father of, Zech the father of John the Baptist, mute for nine months, and now when his tongue is released, he finally speaks, and the first thing he speaks is a prophecy of praise unto the Lord, and it gives us a good view and puts on good glasses for who Jesus really is. So look at verse 67. Go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. All right. We're going to read 67 through 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, <laughs> for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And here's a wonderful phrase you should hold on to all week. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, Last week, we saw the generosity of God, and today I want us to see the mercy of God. I want this phrase, the tender mercy of God, to constantly be rattling throughout your head, to be something that you hide in your heart through the eyes of Zechariah. I hope that we can see Jesus, just like many who have met him before in the scriptures and many of us who have met him in our lives, to see how he responds to sinners like us with tender mercy. God is overwhelmingly kind to us, and I don't know how you currently view God now. I don't know what struggles you face in life, and maybe there are things in your life where you're doubting whether God truly does love and is merciful to you. You're unsure of this reality that you might believe with your head, but you don't don't feel in your heart. You're struggling to understand how God could be merciful to me in the midst of my current reality. And I want to hopefully, as we talked about even last week, take your eyes off of your current circumstances primarily and to put them on Jesus. And do not use your circumstances as the filter by which you see Jesus. Use Jesus as the filter by which you view your circumstances. Okay, I'm telling you, this will change most of your life if you take this simple principle because you are using your circumstances to give you a definition of Jesus when you need to be using Jesus to give you a definition of your circumstances. You are taking the hard things in your life and you're applying them to God as opposed to taking God and applying him to the hard things in your life. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want us to rise out and above and to see God's mercy towards us and then take that truth and bring it back into our daily life and let it change us. As the passage here says, I love this, this word at the end, to give light to those who sit in darkness and to give, uh, uh, guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's something God wants to provide for you, and this is what Christmas provides for everyone in Christ, is deliverance and direction. Deliverance and direction. This is what God wants to provide for you even in this message today. It's deliverance and direction. He says, listen, to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, and I know that there are many of you in this room now or watching online who are currently sitting in darkness, and you would call it in the shadow of death, that you feel like your life and your circumstances have put you in a pit. And I hope, and my prayer is, that the light of the mercy of God would shine down upon you in this pit, and that the mercy of God would give deliverance to you in the midst of your circumstances. And not only does God want to give deliverance to those who sit in darkness, but he also wants to give direction. He gives a way out, and he gives a way forward. This is what God does, is he doesn't only pull you out of the pit, but then he gives you direction as to the way forward to lead you, look at this, into the way of peace. You say, I need direction in my life. I need to know the way. Well, this is exactly what Jesus provides for you. This is one of the things we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus has made the way abundantly clear. You say, I need deliverance. I need hope. I need light to shine down upon my darkness. And I want to say to you, Jesus has already given the light for your darkness. You simply need to bring it and apply it to your current situations. 
Okay, You don't need more light. You don't need an answered prayer of light. Jesus has already come and done this for you and for me. And so now as we sit, many of us in our pits of despair, different seasons, different times of life, different dispositions make us feel this way or think this way, and the Lord wants to bring light into that circumstance today. So I want us to see just aspects of God's mercy. So as we're going to look at this passage and work our way through, what does the mercy of God look like? Uh, What are ways in which God is merciful to us? So here's the first one. It's the mercy of another opportunity. The mercy of another opportunity, or you could call it a second chance. I want to remind you that Zechariah had sinned against the Lord and doubted his word and his promises to him to the extent at which he was punished by nine months of silence and muteness. And God not only forgives Zechariah, but then he fills him with the Holy Spirit And he gives him the honor of prophesying about Jesus. This is the mercy of another opportunity. You may say, and you come in this morning, I have really screwed it up. I have really messed this up. I really did not trust or believe in God in this way. I made a bad decision. And I suffered the consequences and the punishment and the difficulties of my bad decisions. I have sinned against the Lord and I have sinned against others. Nobody wants anything to do with me or you or nobody else would give me a second chance. And I want you to know this morning that as you sit in your seat, the fact that you are still alive means that God has the mercy of another opportunity. It's available to you this day. Not only does he want to forgive you, but he wants to bless you with a role of honor in his mission and work and kingdom. He didn't just say, okay, Zechariah, you're out, you're out of time out. Now just go sit in the corner and don't mess up again, you know? No, he says, all right, Zechariah, I forgive you. And now not only do I forgive you, I fill you with my spirit. And I fill you with my spirit so that you can prophesy about my son. You can have this extremely important, significant role in the history of humankind. As it is with him, so it is with us. There is the mercy of another opportunity. The mercy of a second chance. And so if you came in this morning and said, I have really messed it up. I want you to know that God brought you here or you're watching online, particularly to receive the message from the Lord that if you are still alive, then God is granting you the mercy of another opportunity. The mercy of another opportunity. And so would you take hold of that today, that God's mercy to you in light of your mistakes, regrets, and mess-ups is still available. Not only does he want to and is able to forgive you, but he also wants to bless you and honor you with a role and a purpose in his kingdom. The mercy of another opportunity. The second mercy here is this, the mercy of proximity. It's the mercy of proximity. It says here that God it says, has visited and redeemed his people. Has visited and redeemed his people. Now, this is, this is something that, that's a phrase that God uses all throughout the history of redemption. Even if you can think back to Exodus, one of the ways that talks about um, God saving his people in Exodus chapter 4 is that he visited his people. Uh, the story of Ruth, where she's struggling and she returns back to her homeland. She goes back because it says God has visited his people again. All throughout the history of the Bible, a way that God, the Bible describes uh, God's 
interaction and action within the life of the people of God, within the, the, the world of the earth, is that God would make a visit, which basically means that he doesn't redeem you or help you from afar, but he comes near and dear, right? The, the thing that applies to God more than any of us is that if you want the job done right, you need to do it yourself. And this is what Jesus has done for you and for me. He didn't send someone else. He didn't delegate the responsibility. He didn't ask someone else to do this for him. He wasn't so disgusted by your sin, even though he is certainly angry at it. He wasn't so disgusted by it that he wouldn't come near and dear to you to help resolve that. In the midst of your mess and sin, God did not send someone else to solve the problem. He sent himself. What do you learn from this? That there is the mercy of proximity, that even in our sin, God desires to be near to us, which is exactly why Jesus came, so that in Christ we can be forgiven and a way can be made so that even though we are sinners, a holy God can come near to us. You have the mercy of proximity, and so many of you in your walk with Christ do the opposite of this, that because you're a sinner and because you made a mistake, you don't pray. And because you feel guilty about your life, you don't read the Bible. And because you feel shame for the choices that you're making, you don't go to church. When the opposite is true, the gospel is for sinners. That's the point. It is clear from the gospel and the coming of Jesus that God wants to be near to you. This is the only story in the world where God comes down like this to save his people from their sins. God did not delegate this responsibility and God did not let your sin keep him away from you. But God in his mercy came and made himself near to us. And because he did that already in Jesus before, that reveals who God is, and therefore you know every day of your life that in Jesus you can receive the mercy of proximity, that God wants to be close to you. Your mistakes and my mistakes and our sins should not keep us away from God out of guilt and shame. It should take us to God for the solution to our sin. And so please live this out. You know this is true in your life, that your view of God, that he might be upset with you or that you're an idiot and that I'm an idiot and I made all these mistakes, you made all these mistakes, our view of God gets distorted and we think, well, I can never pray right now. I'm too much of a mess. I can never read my Bible. I feel so guilty. I could not go to church and face all these other Christians who are doing so well, you know, uh, while I'm just a complete mess of a life, you know. That's a lie from the devil, all right? In your sin, in the midst of your shame, pray. Go to God in Christ. In the midst of your struggle, go to the word of God and let the Lord bless you with his presence and forgiveness and guide you out of that. The Lord is merciful to you. So the mercy of proximity. It, Christmas tells us, ultimately, that it is God's desire to draw near to us. And if it was true then in the, in the penultimate aspect of the gospel, it's true now in my everyday life. It is God's desire to be near. And God did not wait on me to figure it out because I can never resolve this. God made a way so that I could be near to him so that a sinner like me can have access to a holy God like him. This is the beauty and the reality of Christmas. This is what you ought to celebrate. So in this time, 
And maybe this is a season where you feel really lonely, or maybe this is a season where you feel really disconnected from your family, or maybe this is a season where those difficulties in your life and those empty places, you know, they just get worse and it feels worse and more difficult, or you feel the disconnection or the family drama or all of this. You don't feel close and near to those that you would like to. I want to remind you that God is not like your dysfunctional family, and God is not like you. Uh, God is always available, and he always wants to be near you. You simply have to come to him, okay? And so if you feel lonely this Christmas and disconnected this Christmas, the very least you can do is receive the present and the gift of proximity to Jesus, all right? So that's the mercy of proximity. The next mercy is this, the mercy of consistency. The mercy of consistency. He says here, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore To our father Abraham, get this, the oath that he swore to Abraham to grant us that we might be delivered from the hand of our enemies. That what God said to Abraham was a gift to us that as he delivered him, so he will deliver us. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks now, but it's something that the Bible consistently reiterates that as God spoke, so he will act. As he was faithful then, so he will be faithful now. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. And so in Christ, let me tell you something. God has not, will not change his mind about you. That God has not, will not change his love and perspective towards you. God has not or will not given up on you. As he was with Abraham and as he was with David and as he was with Ruth and as he was throughout the scriptures, so he will be with you. As he spoke to them, so he will speak to you. As he acted for them, so he will act for you. God is not a man that he should change his mind. God is consistent. It's the mercy of consistency that God is the most reliable person in all the universe. What a wonderful thing when even those we love the most still are incapable of being completely reliable because we're all sinners and we all have shortcomings and we're certainly not God and we're not omnipresent, we're not omniscient, we don't know everything, we can't be everywhere. That even those you love the most will let you down simply because they are not God. So why would we rely consistently on those who cannot be consistent when we can rely on God who is forever consistent with us? This is why the Bible says he's the rock upon which I stand. You build your house on the rock. God is consistent. As he has been, so he will be. Now, I want to show you something from this passage that here in this passage, in the history of salvation, you would say that God is now doing what he had spoken of long ago. So here in Luke 1, in the history of the world, God is now doing what he had spoken of thousands of years before. And so the reality we learn from this is sometimes we live in the promise and sometimes we live in the fulfillment. Sometimes we're in a season of promise that there is a promise, but we haven't seen it fulfilled yet. And sometimes we live in the fulfillment. This is the reality really of every Christian is that we're living now in the promise when so many things we do get to see fulfilled. But the ultimate fulfillment is the resurrection where we will be with Jesus Forever, There will be a day when no more promises are needed and every day of your life is a fulfillment. There are no promises in heaven. It doesn't need to be made any. Every day is a fulfillment. 
And there will be a day when that comes. But right now, we live in between the promise and the fulfillment. And a lot of things happen. I want you to see this just from their perspective. A lot had happened from Genesis 3, so the creation of the world, then man falls into sin, and then God promises that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. A lot had happened between Genesis 3 and Luke chapter 1. There was a whole lot in between the promise and the fulfillment, but it came in God's perfect timing. Ultimately, I want you to understand that God has perfect timing with you. This is a part of his consistency that God will do at just the right time what he has promised to do. So if it's not done yet, it's simply not time for it. But there will be a day that you can put your hope in where God is now doing everything that he said he would do. You will spend eternity in Christ experiencing the fulfillment of God's promises to you. So as you live right now in the in-between, and as you have seasons of life even that are broken down even more, to say, man, I see God fulfilling something the scripture says in my life. I can see it happening right now in my life. Praise the Lord, he does that for us. But ultimately, that's going to come one day. But what you can bank on is God's reliability in this, that God is consistent. And so the mercy of consistency, are you enjoying the reliability of God, or are you struggling with the unreliability of other people? Is your solution to the unreliability of other people to take more control of your life, or is your solution to the unreliability of other people to trust in the consistency of God? May it be this Christmas that you are reminded that as God speaks, so God acts, that God is the most reliable and consistent being in the universe. He will never, ever, 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 ever change his mind about you in Christ, and as he speaks, so he will act. Enjoy the reliability and consistency of God. The, third, the fourth thing here is the mercy of victory, the mercy of victory. Look what he says here. He says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So when Jesus comes, the prophecy spoken about him is that we would be saved from our enemies. Now here's what happened to those that lived during this time is you see this prophecy being made, and then many of his disciples thought this meant that Jesus was going to take over their enemy Rome and establish a current kingdom on earth, and because they misunderstood what God was doing, they missed out on many of his promises towards them. They had the wrong enemy in mind, so they didn't have the right solution to experience in life. He would be saved from our enemies, and they thought, he's going to tackle Rome. He's going to rise up and provide this great kingdom now. And because they misunderstood what Jesus was doing, they missed out so often on enjoying the reality of having God with them. Listen to me. What Luke is trying to explain to us throughout the rest of the gospel is that the greatest enemy of humanity is sin. The real enemy is sin. The tempter of sin is the devil and our own flesh. These are the three things that wage war against you, sin flesh, and the devil. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we are in captivity to the devil. You need to understand that your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not your political, uh, the other political party. Your enemy is not that friend who betrayed you. Your enemy and greatest enemy is sin and the devil. You do not have the power to overcome this enemy, but this is the beauty of Christmas. 1 John 3 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
So here's something you need to understand. Look, listen to me. Some of you don't know the real enemy, so you're not looking for the real Savior. You don't know the real enemy, so you're not looking for the real Savior. Listen, if your enemy is the president, then your Savior is a new election. If your enemy is your boss, then your Savior is a new job. If your enemy is the person who hurt you, then your Savior is vengeance on them. If your enemy is loneliness, then your Savior is anything that gives you company. If your enemy is health problems, then your Savior is medicine. If your enemy is sadness, then your Savior is anything that makes you feel happy for a moment. If your enemy is boredom, then your Savior is any adrenaline rush that you can get. You're looking for the wrong Savior. Savior because you got the wrong enemy. Your enemy and my enemy is sin. That's the only enemy in the world. And the devil is the tempter of sin. So the real enemy is sin. Therefore, the real Savior is Jesus. And when we name the enemy right, we'll name the Savior right. And you may know this is true theologically, but this is not what you're living out every day. To say, you think your enemy is your boss, so the Savior is a new job. When if you understood the enemy is sin and the Savior is Jesus, now I can take this and apply it to my everyday life in this job and in this situation that I don't like. When the other political party becomes your enemy, then you turn into one of those Christians who argues about politics and never shares the gospel with anyone. Why? Because the solution is a different party, not the coming of Jesus to you. We get it twisted to say the enemy is sin of all human race. The answer and the solution is Jesus. Therefore, the gospel is the primary thing we ought to be caring about. You've got the wrong enemy, so you've got the wrong Savior. This is true for your daily life, and this is true for so many of us and so many of our friends and family. Maybe you're here today outside of Christ. You haven't put your trust in Christ because you do not understand the great enemy of your soul that sin, the Bible says, has separated you from God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Your greatest enemy isn't your inability to make your life better. Your greatest enemy is sin, and it has killed your soul, and it will send you to hell. But if in Christ you put your trust and faith in him, you will find the real Savior. You're not looking for the right Savior because you don't have the right enemy. Now, this statement is true for us in every sense. Romans 8 says that God works all things together for good. So not only is it true for us that big picture, our greatest enemy is sin, and God takes care of that in Christ, but as the Bible says, everything that works against us, everything, actually turns out for us. In Christ, the Bible says, God works all things together for good. Even the work of your enemy, even the work of your suffering, so this is eternally true now, but it's also true in the midst of your daily life. So this is what encourages you to say, my understanding of Jesus broadens, and it's more accurate, so my ability to suffer broadens, and it helps me navigate my daily life, because the Bible would teach me now that because of Christ, my enemy now is my victory later. God works all things, even my enemies, together for my good. That because of Christ, I am saved from my enemies, past, present, and future. So my enemy now is my victory later. The most obvious example of this is death. The greatest enemy of the human race, undefeated. Everybody has to face this, but in Christ, your greatest enemy becomes the starting point for your greatest victory. Death becomes a doorway into heaven. 
So if God can take your greatest enemy, death, and flip it into your greatest victory, heaven, how much more so can he do that with everything that opposes you now? This is the confidence of Christmas. Christmas is way more than good feels and good vibes, you know? This is warfare to say now in Christ, because he has come, my enemy now is my victory later. And so I will live with confidence and security and excitement because I know that in Christ all things work together for my good. That because Jesus has come, I am already saved from my enemies. This is the good news of Christmas. The mercy of victory that God has given you the victory in Jesus, a victory you did not fight for and a victory you did not earn and a victory you and I certainly don't deserve, a victory that was given to us by God's mercy. Why am I saved from my enemies? Because I'm great, because I'm smarter, because I'm more wise, because I make better decisions. No, 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 no. I'm a complete wreck. I am saved from my enemies because of God's mercy. That's it. I'm saved from my sin because I woke up and decided, well, I'm going to make a great decision to follow Jesus. No, no, no. I'm saved from my sin because God was merciful to me. I have nothing to do with this, and now I'm totally dependent on God's mercy. So, the mercy of victory. Look what he says here, too, though. I want you, I want you to see the attachment. He says, uh, verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, get this, might serve him without fear. So there, I am saved by God's mercy so I can live for God's glory. There's something that's attached to this. I'm not just saved so that I can sit around. I'm, not, I'm saved to serve. I'm not saved to sit. This is the point, to say, I have been saved. God has been merciful to me unto something. He has delivered me out of the pit, and he has set my feet on the path. I have deliverance and direction. I am saved not just to sit, but I am saved to serve. And look what's happening here. Look what's happening here. I love this phrase that we might serve him without fear. Why? Okay, okay. Look, look what's happening. Because you have been delivered from your enemies, who you should not even be afraid of, but are, you now have the privilege of knowing God, who you should fear, but now don't have to as father. Now, obviously, the fear of the Lord is very important in Scripture. I'm not talking about that, the reverence and the awe we should have for God. I'm talking about the kind of fear that sits in judgment, the kind of fear that's unsure, the kind of fear a kid has before he goes to the principal's office and knows he's messed up. That kind of fear, what's going to happen to me? How are they going to treat me? What's going to happen? That's the fear that you have been delivered by. So look, he has delivered you from your fears, your enemies, so that you can have a relationship with God whom you should fear but now can love. He has taken away fear from enemies so that you can now, in the right way, fear the Lord and enjoy a relationship with him. But some of you, listen to me in your Christianity, you have traded out one fear for another. And you have traded out the fear of your enemies with some misunderstanding and fear of Jesus. And you always act like the kid that's about to go to the principal's office. I know I messed up and I'm not sure how God's going to treat me now. Or you serve out of some sense of obligation or you just want to, you're trying to please God and make him love you more. And I want you to say, the whole point of the gospel is that God would deliver you from fear so that you could live in love. 1 John 4 says, perfect love casts out fear. 
that you might serve him without fear, that you might serve him with love. God has delivered you from your fear so that you can serve him without fear. This is the beauty of Christmas. I am saved to serve. I am not saved to sit. This is also the obligation of Christmas. How is God calling you to join him in his mission on earth? God has not been merciful to you so that you can sit but God has been merciful to you so that you can radically give your life to serve. I want to ask you this question. Does your life make sense in light of God's mercy to you? Does it make sense? If God has been so merciful, are you responding in the way that he has said? You are delivered from your enemies, not so that you can just enjoy not having these enemies, but that so you can extend God's mercy to others. Saved to serve, not saved to sit. Finally here, the mercy that we see is just mercy for me. Here's all I want you to do today is I want you to put the me back in mercy. Okay? I want you to put the me back in mercy. I want you to take the word mercy and I want you to personalize it for you. Look at this. And he says, because of the tender mercy, wait, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Okay, what, what's the flow of thought? What is the knowledge of salvation? Salvation is the forgiveness of sins. What, how do I know about salvation? Well, salvation is forgiveness of sins. That's what it is. This is what does it mean to be saved is to have your sins forgiven, which goes back to the thing. I can't get the right Savior if I don't have the right enemy. If my enemy is not sin, I can't get forgiven for sins I don't know that I have. I can't get forgiven for things I don't know that I do. I need to recognize that I'm a sinner so that I can receive the Savior. What is salvation? It is not a better life now. Salvation is the forgiveness of my sins. It is a better life forever. And this salvation shall come because of the mercy of God. You need to understand that we are saved by mercy, not merit. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot work for it. You cannot go to church enough to get it. You can't give enough money away. You're only saved because of God's mercy to you. And finally, what are the results of this salvation? So what is salvation? It's the forgiveness of sins. How does salvation come? How does sins get forgiven? By the mercy of God. When the mercy of God comes into a person's life, what does it do? It gives light to those who sit in darkness. It gives deliverance and direction. So put the me back in mercy and start living as one who has been delivered and who has clear direction. God's mercy has already given you these things. You need to stop asking and wanting. You need to start living and receiving and enjoying. God has already died for your sins. If you have trusted in him, they are already forgiven. God has already brought light into your darkness, and he has already given direction to your, peace, to your feet for the way of peace. So this Christmas, remember to live in the reality that God's mercy has already brought for you. Put the me back in mercy. And personalize in your life the beautiful truths that God has bought for you on the cross. Mercy for me. If you're here today and this isn't you yet, I want to encourage you, most importantly, to put the me back in mercy and to receive God's gift of salvation for the forgiveness of your sins. You can do that sitting on your couch at home, watching it on your phone, sitting in this chair. You can engage with the Lord where you're at. You simply must understand that my sins separate me from God. And I need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. He died on the cross to take care of my sins. He rose from the grave to give me victory. This is God's mercy to me. And if you would receive it, then you could have it, and you could live with the hope of eternal life. Mercy for me this Christmas.
Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your mercy towards us. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love and your patience. We thank you for your goodness. I pray that each one of us, Lord, each one of us here watching online would put the me back in mercy, that we would all receive for us the mercy that you bought on the cross. We thank you that you are always available to give mercy to us. And we love you. And we ask now as we respond to you that you would take these truths and that you would root them deeply within our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't everybody stand up? Let's respond to the Lord.